Welcome to Vision Driven with Resin Architecture, the podcast where we dive deep into the world of architecture, development, and construction. I'm your host, Greg Croft, and my co-host is Jamie Moulton, and we are thrilled to have you join us on this journey of learning, inspiration, and insight. When you talk about real estate, I would always recommend that you go into it with the exit in mind. Advice I'd give somebody that's presenting their case or pitching their their loan to a bank. It's just to be really well prepared. Whether you're dreaming of building a space for your business or simply curious about the fascinating world of architecture and development, join us on this exciting adventure as we unlock the secrets to successful projects and empower you to turn your vision into reality. Today we're with Dustin Mortimer with Mountain West Commercial Real Estate, and we're excited to hear what you have to say to us about commercial real estate. We've got quite a few questions. The first question that we have uh, that, that I'd like to know is just how how did you get interested in commercial real estate? What kind of brought you into that field? And how long have you been doing it? Absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you guys. I'm excited. Uh, so my background um, or what got me excited about it, uh, change of career, honestly. Uh, I was working for the Department of Finance uh, in the mortgage industry, kind of an auditor. Yeah, it sounds as fun as it was, um, and just needed to change. Uh, my family has been in building, developing, you know, so basically real estate uh, for as long as I can remember since I was a little kid. And so when I came to make a change, I thought, man, maybe real estate would make some sense. And I went and took the classes and got licensed. And I was like, man, this is fun. I hadn't quit my other job yet. And I said, hey, I can do this. Uh, and then I specifically chose commercial because for better or for worse, I didn't want to deal with uh, apologies, housewives and emotion. Uh, commercial real estate is much more logical. Um, businesses are nine to five. Uh, and so it just fit uh, my history better, uh, my degree better. Uh, and that's what got me into it. And I've loved every minute uh, since I've been doing it. Did you ever touch uh, residential or was it just like, I have, you know, I have I'm, not I'm nope. just doing I have commercial. not sold a single family house. Yeah. Nope. Interesting. Yep. Um, so I've been doing it. I'm in my fifth year. Uh, just, and like I said, enjoy every minute. Every day is a different puzzle. It's a different challenge. You get to meet wonderful people. And so I plan on doing it for a long, long time. So we're talking to people that have diverse experience, um, for helping people who are building their first building. Tell us what role a commercial real estate agent plays in that process. So first business owner getting into uh, building something. So probably any avenue of that is when I can get involved. Um, probably very similar to what Resin does. You know, we're educators. We teach people what they don't know or reinforce what they do know. Um, and so whether it's, hey, I'm thinking about building it. I don't have property. We can get involved at the front end. Hey, yeah, it sounds like you're going to do this and you probably need this much land or you need this type of building. You know, we can go all the way from the start to, hey, they've purchased the land or they even purchased the building, but they have extra space. Uh, a commercial real estate agent can come in and teach them what those assets are uh, and, and how they can be used. Um, as you are, I guess, getting involved with somebody uh, from a commercial standpoint, are, what kind of research are you doing in the market? So if they're looking for office space, like what kind of research tools do you have there and how do you stay up to date on that? Um, what are all the like tools and aspects that you have at your 
Yeah. So I think you're asking, how do we, how do I do the job that I do? Yeah. If, you know, so a for example, you, yeah, you mentioned uh, office space. Um, so it starts with a, a really in-depth conversation. What are you looking for? What do you need? Uh, when do you need it? Um, all those needs, wants that we kind of talked about a second ago. Um, but how we do that, there's, uh, and the market has shifted over the last 10, 20 years, right? It used to be that there was a broker that kind of knew all the properties out there. Uh, or if you look at residential, they have the MLS, right? That's the repository of these are all the properties. In commercial, especially in a smaller market to, like we have here in Southeast Idaho, we don't have that specifically set up for commercial or the MLS isn't used as well for the commercial market. Um, and so there's a few different um, repositories that we use. We still use the MLS, um, uh, but it's, it doesn't capture quite as much because some companies will use it, some won't. There's ins and outs or, or nuances with using these repositories, um, but there's nationwide uh, listing services, LoopNet, Crexy, CoStar. Uh, and so we'll research all of those as well as research all of our, uh, I'll use the term competitor right now, but our fellow brokers, our fellow agents, they all have websites. Uh, and so we do a lot of research into what they have in listings and then we maintain a, com a customer retention program or a customer service uh, database. Hey, we know these clients have had this property. Maybe they have space again, or maybe they need space. Or, and so it's just a lot of uh, background understanding of who is in the market and then how to go find what's been placed on the market, if that makes sense. Um, does that answer kind of the question there? We do a lot of programming when we start projects, too, where we're asking a lot of questions. So uh, what types of questions are you asking your clients? Um, again, we're going to go back to the, I'm gonna, apparently I'm going to use the term wants, needs regularly today. Um, but just those things. Um, if you've got a certain type of business, uh, let's just say, for example, a retail business. Let's, let's use the uh, Starbucks as an example, right? They know pretty much what they need, you know, 12 to 2,000 feet. And they know they're going to need a drive-through. Uh, ever since the pandemic, we know that they're probably going to want a double drive-through, right? And we're going to walk through all the different things that they need in a location. And then we'll walk into some of the wants of the location. And then we're going to talk about the timing of the location, how quick they need to get into it, or if they have time to build it from ground up. Um, so there's just a lot of little nuances on each property and each client that you've got to get that information in your uh, arsenal to go and find the so find the right property for a lot of clients, uh, our clients anyway. They're uh, they this is their very first building that they're building. So when they meet with us, they're doing some of that programming. Do you recommend that they work with a commercial real estate broker at the same time that they're working with an architect to try and figure out that space planning needs? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, a client may already have a piece of property, for example, and the property may fit certain sizes and, and scope, which is you know, what resin's going to be able to indicate. Well, if you want this much, you need this much space. Will it fit with the property you've got or will it not? Right. And, and that's probably where we come in uh, and can have a better understanding of the zoning use, the types, the size of the building that can fit or the use type to make sure it, it works, uh, for example, in that property. So, yeah, usually the sooner the better, uh, probably similar to what you guys would tell people. The sooner you reach out to an agent, uh, the, the more educated you can be up front and not make some of those mistakes that you don't want to make. Yeah. 
I, I know that we've run into where people have purchased a piece of land that it's like it is, doesn't actually work and now you're paying an agent to resell it and that's not something anybody ever wants to deal with. So that's an expensive mistake. It can be. Yep, it absolutely can be. Uh, and it happens more than you want to admit. Um, people that, and, I, and in all honesty, we've seen it, people with use agents and make the wrong purchase. Um, but for the most part, you'll, you'll find people that, hey, ask the questions, understand what they need, and get through the, to the right property so you don't have to go through that. So what would you say usually creates those scenarios where land doesn't work out? Is it space? Is it zoning? Is it with us? We notice it's parking a lot, that the parking won't mm -hmm. fit. Green space, parking. Um, the other one is if they buy a piece of property that's, for example, not zoned yet or not part of the city, for example, City of Ottawa Falls yet or any of the uh, municipalities, um, they're basically looking at a land use plan and expecting the city or the county to rezone it or to allow it to be a certain use. Sometimes it just doesn't happen, right? You'll buy, so for example, an old farmer wants to sell 40 acres and an industrial park wants to come in, he wants to buy those 40 acres and build, you know, 30 industrial property uh, buildings that he'll lease out or sell or rent. And it looks like the land use plan should fit that category. And if you buy it, maybe without a contract that allows you to go through that process, um, which we usually suggest, um, you could buy it, close, and then go through the process of rezoning it or annexing it. And the, even the, the code may say it's supposed to go to that, but it can happen where it doesn't happen. Uh, they, they turn down the annexation or they turn down the rezone, and they're stuck with a piece of property that they don't know what they're going to do with. So it can happen. Um, not as often in our markets, um, but it still can happen. Yeah, the, the turn time on, on administrative uh, actions in zoning and rezoning and plat approval, et cetera, that has changed quite a bit, even over the last 24, 36 months. Um, when I first got into it, kind of the, the, the normal was about 60, 90 days. You could put in a permit and probably get that back. Maybe, maybe 120 days was kind of the longer side of going through the city processes. That's basically doubled, if not tripled now. I tell most of my clients, if you're wanting to buy something and get it through, I'd probably plan six to a year, six months to a year to buy it or during the purchase process, zone it, annex it, and get it ready for what you want to do with it. So timing has changed significantly over the last We've 36 We've seen that months. on the building, building permit side as well, where times of time has just doubled or tripled. Yeah. Yep. So. Yeah, the timelines have changed. Yeah, I guess we're turning into a big city. <laughs> Slowly. Yeah. Yep. Or faster than maybe some people want, but we are where we are. Uh, what are some common mistakes that you've seen people make? I, th I feel like we've talked about some of these, but are there other common mistakes that you see that people make that, uh, that could have been prevented, um, that uh, a, a competent commercial realtor would prevent? Um... Some negotiation tactics can get involved and, and people can make some mistakes. Um, I'm not, I'm by no means a, a hostage negotiator by any means, but when we negotiate regularly, we kind of get the hang of what people's psychologies are in those tactics. Uh, and that's something that I've seen. I mean, even recently I had a client that, Hey, I've got a piece of property. I know the owner, I'm going to call him, 
And he did, and he got a price that I felt was reasonably fair. But I think if he had brought in a, a real estate agent sooner, it could have been a little more in his favor, right? Uh, there are tactics um, to negotiating. Um, we won't need to go probably too deep into some of those, um, but there's just ways, uh, and, I, and I don't want to feel like you're playing the system or trying to be rude because in my opinion, in my philosophy, in the way I run business, it's got to be win-win, right? You've got to be fair, honest, in my opinion, win-win. Um, but there are ways to kind of structure offers or time offers um, that can benefit either side of when you're working with an agent. Yeah. Well, and an agent probably recognizes those opportunities a little bit more where it's like, Hey, you know what, let them continue to use the land for six more months, but go ahead and close or because that's allows them to move on with their next phase or something. You know, there's, there's probably a lot of different scenarios, but depending on the person. So, okay. Are there any other ideas that you have, like in terms of um, mistakes that you feel like, hey, this could have been, this could have been prevented, this could have been better? That's kind of a tough question. Uh, what mistakes do I see? Maybe I'm I blindly look over people's mistakes, right? Um, rushing um, is pretty common. Hey, let's just get this done and let's do it quick. Like, yes, we want to get it done, um, but we want to think through it. We're we trying to skip over the yeah, due diligence. Skip steps. Due diligence is extremely vital in commercial real estate because our deals are usually bigger deals. You know, it's not, it's not you know, pocket change for most of us. Is um, the due diligence something that you particularly are helping with, or is that a title company? We can. Job? Yeah, all of the above. Okay. Yeah, due diligence is a broad term for uh, a buyer's research of the property to make sure that it fits their needs. Um, it can be stipulated, it can be defined very clearly in a contract, or it can be very broad. Meaning, for example, pretty common uh, due diligence period in, in a lot of the contracts are 60 to 90 days. Meaning a buyer has 60 to 90 days to truly determine if this property makes sense. They're under contract, meaning they they control the property. Um, but now they have 60 to 90 days to go to the city, to talk with uh, all of the city planners to say, hey, yeah, the zoning's right. This is my business. Will that fit in there? This is the building size we're going to do. Will that fit in there? It's it's time to call the utility companies. It's time to go through any of those processes uh, that you feel comfortable enough to buy the property. Um, and those can be, again, blanket where if, let's say, on, the, on a 90-day on contract on the 89th day, you just decide this isn't going to work for me, you can just kind of walk away. Um, and so... Due diligence is, is very important to make sure you're not rushing through and buying something that doesn't work as a business. Is there earnest money like in a home purchase that's put down yes. for that? Yes, uh, absolutely. Earnest money is still a very common tradition. Um, is it a percentage of the sale or? A percentage that both parties feel good about. The good and bad of the double-edged sword of commercial real estate is that there's no set standard. Right, Everything's negotiable. And earnest money amount, contract, price, everything is basically negotiable. I kind of joke with clients and say, if you want to buy this piece of land, literally you could add your boat, right, to the, to the purchase price, so 10000 cash and a boat. Um, so that's the good and the bad. Uh, so regarding earnest money, the other thing that comes to mind is that earnest money, for the most part, has become almost fully refundable to, for the most part in those due diligence windows. And so... 
Um, again, each seller is a little different, but I haven't seen people lose earnest money for quite a while. Most of those contracts are written where if they decide to walk away for any or almost no reason, that goes back to the buyer. And so earnest money is not probably as valid a, a determinant of risk, buyer or seller risk, as it once was. Well, uh, tell us about the state of commercial real estate in this area and any trends that you're seeing for Southeast Idaho. You bet. You bet. Southeast Idaho is a great market. Um, if we look at national trends and then we look at Southeast Idaho, we are um, traditionally and historically in a better position. Um, we're buoyed a little bit, um, and a lot of that is based on the strength of our employers and the market itself. So, for example, the INL. The, the INL is a very consistent employer that brings in high-paying jobs that kind of keep our area going. Um, a lot of people don't know, but the metro or city of Auto Falls, right, and Ammon, you're right around 100,000 if you go city of. Uh, metro or the area is about 150, 175,000. But if you go to how many people Auto Falls supports or feeds, we're actually almost 300,000. And so that's why Auto Falls is a really good spot to be in Southeast Idaho um, when we're talking about healthy markets. Um, uh, and so a lot of people don't realize that we feed or we support people from Jackson Hole to Montana to Salmon uh, and then south to Blackfoot, right? So our south border is, is near, but everything going northeast and central Idaho, Idaho Falls feeds that. And so it keeps us stronger than some of our neighboring cities and or markets. Um, in general, we're still in a, a seller's market. Um, vacancy is very tight, meaning uh, very few open buildings for sale or very few open buildings for lease. Uh, and that can be broken down into a few different categories. We break it down into industrial properties, office properties, retail properties, and then land. Those are kind of our four markets. Uh, and in all of them were historically very tight. Uh, I think the last time I noticed industrial was at four or 5% vacancy, right? Very, very narrow. So basically anything that's on the market for the most part is what we call functionally obsolete. So if you come to market with a new industrial building or an, an older industrial building, but it's functional, you're still going to get good rates, sell it for a higher price than we've probably seen. The market is still appreciating in most places. Office is the one that struggles a little bit right now. Um, I think our vacancy right there, depending on if it's single or multi-tenant, is, if I recall, right around 10%. So still, you know, pretty common as sellers are right on that equilibrium market. Um, but office is struggling a little bit and that's still a, that's a, that's a response from the pandemic. Still we've transitioned to a lot of office users will still, will work from home. Uh, and so we're still shaking that out. Um, uh, retail again, I think we're at three or 4%. Basically, if you drive around town, you see a retail space that's on a high traffic road, it's full, right? Very few. I've got, I think three clients right now that would love something with a drive-through not available. No, nobody's building it because of build costs. Um, and then everything that's out there is full. Um, and so, so as far as the office space and the vacancy there is, is that 10% mark when a client should consider building, uh, what is that sweet spot for, Oh, 
the market's too tight. You're not going to be able to rent a space or the cost is going to be too high. You might as well build. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I don't think I've ever heard like, hey, there's a percentage or there's a use type. A lot of it's just market research. Um, I can, I know, so for example, developer or builder can go out and say, I know I can go buy a piece of property for this much. Maybe it's on the market or maybe it's um, a friend of a friend owns it and he's willing to, he knows he can buy it for X amount. So he'll do the backwards math. I know I can build it for this much. I know I can buy the land for this much. And I know that the rents are going for about this much right now. And then he can determine, for the most part, if there's a profit margin in there that makes sense for him is to take on that risk, that capital outlay. Um, and so that's usually how most people go into, um, I see a need and I'm going to go build it. Uh, the other thing is comfort level. Uh, a lot of developers will get into something um, that they're used to. Um, so for example, maybe they, uh, I'll use my dad as an example. He was a, he was a residential builder, uh, building homes, uh, when he started his comfort construction. Um, and so he, he understood the home building process. And so then some of his first developments went out and he built a subdivision, right? So he knew he could do the one thing. So he felt comfortable and then developed subdivisions. Uh, similarly, other people have owned office buildings, maybe for their own business or for someone else. And then like, oh, I see a need that's out there. Because, hey, I called Dustin and I can't find what I would want as a business owner. And so they go build it and it works for somebody else. Um, so I don't know if there's a specific percentage of vacancy or um, usually I see, hey, there's a need out there or my business won't fit anywhere. So I need to go build it. So if I know I need it, I know somebody else needs it. And so they'll go take that risk uh, when they're determining on developing a property or building a new product. Yes, that's kind of an interesting point to know is just the, you know, knowing the vacancy rate, I, th I think a lot of performers that are out there, it's like you would plug that in and then discount yourself that much, assuming that you're vacant 10% of the year because that's what the current rate is. And over the long term, it probably averages out to be okay. And if the numbers pencil out at 10%, it probably pencils out long term. Right. Uh, yeah, the industry standard is kind of penciling on a pro forma about 5%, right? They say 5% is kind of our normal, what we expect our property be, to be empty in an annual performance uh, pro forma. Um, I've had some clients that because of how tight the market is here in Southeast Idaho, how well it's been doing, have dropped that, right? When you go to sell a property, the standard, a hey, 5%, but I can show over the last 5, 10 years, I've been at 2%. Right. You can show 2% and then it's again, a little bit of the, the numbers game, the accounting game, but then they can show that and prove that. And then maybe that determines that they sell it or they buy it or they build something new. Um, how do you personally stay up on the latest market trends? Like how do you, I, I, the, are you guys tracking these numbers, uh, so low, uh, as far as like, uh, mountain West or is this like, uh, is there information that's out there generally? Uh, in general, there's quite a bit of information out there. Again, I think I talked earlier about national trends, right? So I keep an eye on national trends, uh, see what people are doing in what they call primary markets, you know, the big markets, New York, LA, you know, those big markets that have nothing really to do with us, but there's a trend there. And uh, so we'll follow that, you know, headlines, uh, the big, uh, you know, New York Times, Wall Street, those all have uh, articles that will come out. You, just, you keep an eye on them, right? Kind of see what's going on. Again, I take those with a grain of salt regarding Auto Falls because we're a different market. Uh, we're definitely a small-time market compared to those guys. Um, 
but that's one way I'll do it. Um, I'll look at podcasts. I haven't been really good about finding something commercial related podcast, but there's residential real estate podcasts that you can, you can pick and choose and kind of take some of the wins that, that, that translate over into commercial real estate. Um, I try and find books pretty regularly. Um, the last one I got or I bought was the encyclopedia of commercial real estate, right? It sounds real fun, but every now and then you just flip a page and you'll, you'll learn something new, right? Just, just anything like that. Um, how else, uh, obviously as a real estate agent, you have to do license in the state of Idaho. We're required X amount of CE continuing education, uh, every year. Um, and those are usually pretty good. Uh, state of Idaho doesn't, uh, educate too specifically commercial. It's more directed towards a residential real estate, uh, you know, kind of a numbers game. There's, I think last I heard there were 600 plus residential real estate agents in Southeast Idaho. And I think full-time commercial there's. 12 right and so you don't necessarily learn a lot about commercial real estate but you can pick what they're winning and losing in residential and use those in commercial make sure you don't make some of those same mistakes um the other thing is associations uh there's national associations that uh, you can be a part of and they have continuing educations and classes and things like that what you mentioned that one of the changes that you've noticed in um one of the trends that you've noticed is that a lot more businesses are working from home. Um, what are some of the other changes that you've seen in the market over the five years that you've been in the field? What have we seen over the last five years? Um, trending or, I mean, obviously everyone's aware of the, the financial uh, or the lending market or environment we've, we've come into over the last, what, year and a half now? It's been a little over a year or so since the market's kind of turned in regard to lending rates. Um, what other trends? It's, it's been a seller's market for the most part as I've been in it. Um, it's turn, I can't say it's turning because by the numbers, we're still in a seller's market, right? There's only so many properties available per capita or per, and so we're still in a seller's market, but it has changed because it's been a seller's market with hesitancy. Um, people don't know exactly what to expect. Are the rates going to go up next quarter? Should I buy now? Or are they going to go up and stop and then come back down in two quarters? Right? So we're in that flux period of, do I make a move right now? Do I go buy 40 acres and develop for industrial space? I know that we have a need for industrial space, but do I make that investment at this interest rate or will it come down? So we've got a lot of hesitancy in the market right now. Uh, as we move through this, where is the true reality of nationwide and Southeast Idaho market? Um, in regards to other trends, what are we seeing? Um, we're on the map. Southeast Idaho is on the map. Uh, everyone's well aware of who we are. Um, I've got a client right now that they just decided to leave Reno, Nevada. They're out of there, right? They moved to Swan Valley, Idaho and are going to open a business in, in Idaho Falls. Um, and so I, I expect that trend to continue. I expect Otto Falls and Southeast Idaho to continue to be a place where we get a lot of immigration, people continuing to get away from the big cities, to get away from what that life is to a little slower, a little easier. Uh, maybe, maybe easier is not the right word, but just a, a slower, um, and I'll use the term rural lifestyle. Um, so I expect that to continue. And I expect that to continue to keep pressure on the market, um, meaning we have... Uh, I use the term uh, maybe a little bit in jest, but California funny money. We still have some of that coming that puts pressure on the market, keeping prices high um, because what they can sell something down there versus what they can buy something here 
it's a pretty big discrepancy. Um, and so, um, I continue, I, I continue to see that, um, I'd like to say for the foreseeable, um, but that's, that could be a long ways, long ways out and you can't really see that far, but for at least the next 12, 24, 36 months, I expect them to continue to see people to move here. You talked about how, uh, this area is lacking some retail space, how, um, those occupancy rates, there's not much space available. Do we have a do we have trouble finding space and land to build new projects? Um, are the sites available or? It's probably a mix. Um, so we are a unique town. I'll just specifically say Idaho Falls in that we built our retail row away from our highway, away from our interstate. If you go to most uh, cities across the country, their retail row is usually near the interstate or near the highway for transportation, for logistics, et cetera. Um, we built ours by the mall four miles away from the interstate and doubled down, if you will, on that. And I won't, I won't call it a mistake. It's just what it is. Um, and so that corridor um, has become pretty congested. You know, we don't have a ton of land left there. Um, and so land is a little bit sparse in that specific space. And so national retailers have a, a, a good and bad habit of only being near other national retailers. And so it'll take some risk on a developer um, or some risk on a national retailer to say, I'll go to another space that's not quite the perfect spot, the class A spot that's right by all the other ones and, and make sure I can do the business. Um, you know, there's some great projects coming along. The next one that's that's big that Mountain West is working on is Riviera. It's right next to Costco. Um, you should see a grocery there. You should see a big entertainment center there. Um, uh, not Dave and Buster's, I'm not, but a type, something like that. Um, banks, you know, eateries uh, that will feed, uh, specifically feed and uh, entertain that northeast side of town that's underserved. Um, and so I'm pretty excited about that. Um, and so it's still on that hit corridor, which is kind of interesting. That it's still there, but they realized, Hey, there's a need in the Northeast side of town. And that fits that normal national metric of about every grocery store needs, or there needs to be a grocery store about every three miles. That's kind of the normal drive time, convenience time that groceries, um, providers have, have realized. And if you go across the country, you can map out about every three miles, you'll see a grocery store. And this is that next one that will be up there. Um, and so that's uh, some risk on their part. They went and purchased, you know, the developer went and purchased, I want to say 60 acres. And I think about 30 of that will be a retail uh, grocery anchor center. And then there's some multifamily um, and then there's some offices and stuff in there. So cool site. I'm excited for that to come to town in the next year or two. It'll take a little while to build all that out. Is that uh, as a commercial realtor, are you guys actually out there kind of, I guess, having these conversations with, people that you're trying to pull in saying, Hey, I've got this, this project available. This is what we're targeting. You're the perfect grocery exactly. store yep. or you're the perfect. Yep. Okay. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the good and the bad, right? That's the fun and the hard part is educating, you know, so Idaho Falls, if you look at the city of it's 70, 70,000, 72,000, where are we at? I can't remember the last times. I don't know either. If you look that's at a national metric, right. That's nothing, right? For for example, for Trader Joe's to come to town, they have to have like 150,000 people within like a mile and a half. Uh, like, pfft, it's never going to happen here, right? 
but we get to do is try and tell the story like, yes, you're right. Our per mile, our, our, that ring of demographics doesn't meet your national standard. But hey, this is the why you should be here. Uh, and this is a little hearsay on my part, but I've heard our Costco is one of the one off, if not the best performing Costco in the country. I've heard that. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised because Costco feeds Jackson, right? We all, we all super bulk. They'll come to town, go to Costco, and then go back to Jackson or they'll go to Drig. You know, they're, they're heading back out. Um, and what was the other, the other, uh, there was another performing that they considered to be the best was the Chick-fil-A. It was one of them that, that was considered or is the best in the country. And so like right in our little market, a lot of things can really work if you look past those numbers, those initial numbers. And so that's absolutely what we do is say, Hey, developer or national retailer, this is why you should be here. Uh, so do commercial brokers usually represent either a seller or a buyer? Because I know that in the residential market, sometimes they can specialize. Mm -hmm. um, is that is it that way in commercial or do it's, you do yeah, a little it's the of same. both? Yeah, it's okay. the same. So state of Idaho has a requirement that you have to let the customer or the client choose how they want to be representative, represented, represented, excuse me. Um, for the most part, most clients are okay with dual, meaning you can represent both sides of the deal. Uh, but there's some, and I've got one right now that you will represent me as the seller and me as a seller only. So, uh, it's, it's an education piece and there's good and bad of it, right? You know, there's certain duties you have to do as an agent that if you're representing both, you know, for example, you cannot give them specific number advice. Let's say it listed at a million dollars and you represent both. You cannot tell the buyer any number advice, right? Because you'd be sure. going against your other client. Um, and so very similar to residential, you just have to really navigate that and be very sensitive to both parties. Um, but it sounds like you um, do represent both sellers and buyers in different transactions that you're not specialized to only correct. represent sellers yeah. or only represent correct. buyers. Yep. Our market's still small enough that I'd love to specialize on a few things, but it's still small enough that I wouldn't go hungry, I'd say, but not as much work as you'd want. Uh, and so, yeah, listing agent, buyer's rep, tenant rep, landlord rep, those are the four kind of categories. And I specifically, or most agents will do all of the above. Yeah. You get into the bigger markets, Salt Lake, Boise, you'll have some agents that will just be a listing agent, or you'll have some brokerage that's, uh, split up their agents that maybe a seasoned agent is a listing agent and the newer agents are all just buyer rep agents, right? You got to go cut your teeth learning how to represent this before you get to this. So each brokerage is a little different. Um, the way we're set up, Rhyme set up, is that we do it all. I do it all. Yeah. Uh, what do you see as the future of commercial real estate, and how do you see that uh, in evolving over the the coming years? Um, it's a good question. You think it's going to stay the same? Is there more technology that's going to shift I things? I think the, the first thing that came to mind was technology slash digital. Yeah, a lot of things. Like I've done deals and met that I've never met clients. Right. You know, you wouldn't think that something as important as real estate or these size and types of transactions, you would probably meet and shake hands. But I've done deals where you just haven't. Um, and so I would see it to continue to go that way. Um, so, for example, DocuSign, you don't have to meet to sign documents anymore. So I think that will get easier and easier to do things uh, from afar. Um, in regards to other things that will change, um, I think we'll see less little guys playing. Uh, you know, I think you see this in a lot of industries. Um, you know, our, uh, the, the eyes that are on Otto Falls are 
bigger than the guys that were developing before. You know, we're seeing a lot of, I call it I-15 creep, right? We're getting developers and builders creeping for, up from Salt Lake City. Um, and so I think that will continue to be the case. Um, where before it was, you know, some local developers that knew that they could do this um, and with little competition. And now there's more competition. I, can t I, I will expect similar to continued immigration in residential stats and demographics, I can seem to see that in, in our commercial development is more, I'll say, outside developers coming to town. So that being the case, has the market already pushed out the smaller developers, the first-time developers, or is that still no, something that will work here? No, they're still there. That's um, good. Yeah, they're still there. Um, the the uh, advantage of being a local is you know the people. Uh, you know, and I'll say this a little bit in jest, you know, Farmer Joe down the road, you know, and I, I know he's 62, and I know that he's probably ready to sell, and I know he doesn't have kids, or I know, and so... If you're a local, you can usually say, hey, I know that this and you could go make a deal and transact and, and risk and then develop. So it can happen for sure. Um, but we're just seeing bigger numbers, bigger people, bigger players coming to town. So they will fight more for the on-market stuff than the off-market transactions. Um, so there's always an opportunity for the little guy. Uh, just You just might have to punch above your weight class a little bit. So Have you, I guess, as those bigger developers come in it seems like one of the things that we'll start to see is just i don't know as we go down the i-15 corridor the further south we get it seems like um as soon as you hit into that that bigger um probably starting in ogden anything that's going up just seems like they're spending a lot more money on it to make it look the way that they did and um and i don't know i mean maybe there's a good roi on that uh that's probably a good question <laughs> is is that uh is that something as as you've seen like these higher quality or higher design type projects come in do those also yield a higher uh, return for the the developer or the the owner of those properties or is that uh so that's kind of for an the most the yeah so there's a couple too, avenues sorry. that i kind of think of uh so i immediately thought when you think of i-15 uh, creep if you will i think of the office buildings right the high-rise office buildings right. that that we're saying all the way up and down the utah valley um could we support something like that here um it'd be tough right. it'd be tough right now uh so for example the knolls ball ventures big building um it's still not completely full it's very close but it with the pandemic and with the change in costs and rates, it's taken longer to fill than they expected. Um, so would we support or would a developer try and do something else like that here? Probably not right now. Um, build costs are gonna prohibit probably because we know that you've got X window for lease rate. And I don't think the build cost on that would get there or at least in a comfortable level um, right now. Uh, I think our build costs needs to level a little bit. Um, and I say level, meaning either either level completely so that we know exactly what we're working with rather than continue to appreciate um, or come down. Um, and that's part of the hesitancy in the market right now is we don't know exactly where build prices are. Um, labor rates um, are continuing to go up. Uh, and so until that really levels or we feel we know where that can be for an extended period, six to a month to a year, uh, that might be tough. Um, but then I think the second avenue is I, res, uh, residential apartments, for example. Um, I think they're building higher end. 
um, and they're knowing they can get a little bit of a premium because we don't have that here. We don't have really high-end apartments. We don't have some of those amenities that um, you see consistently in other markets. And so I think they know that they can get a little bit better rent, and so they're building to a little bit higher class. Based, based on your experience, what is the one thing that you would recommend to um, uh, somebody that is so a, a business owner who's looking to buy a piece of land? A completely biased answer, but call me, right? <laughs> no, uh, but again, biased answer, get a hold of the professionals, right? Um, whether it's commercial real estate, whether it's architecture, whether it's engineering, um, you really should get the best advice you can get uh, when you're going to get into these kind of projects. Um, just save yourself the headache, right? Um, well, make those calls first. Is it similar to residential also that the buyer is not going to pay for your services? Correct. Okay. Yep. Very standard. Very similar to a residential. Um, so it only makes sense then yeah. to have a, an expert yep. on your side. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So uh, I have not witnessed that yet where a buyer has to pay a buyer agent fee. Um, but so, for example, in our listing agreement, there is the case that if they move forward on a project that the seller chooses not to not to pay for some whatever reason, but they still choose to move forward, we would ask the buyer to pay. But I've I don't see that. I haven't seen that yet. Knock on wood. Where's the where's the? <laughs> so yeah, so yeah, buyers, agents, tenant reps, the landlord or the seller cover that fee, right? I mean, it's always the the nuance of who's really paying for it. Is the buyer paying for it with their funds, or is the seller paying for it out of the, you know? So yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you helping Absolutely. us to understand this better. Absolutely. Hopefully you learned something. Thank you, Dustin. Yeah. You bet. Thanks, guys. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing to Vision Driven on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to leave us a review. Your feedback helps us grow and improve our content, and it also helps others discover the podcast. Remember, at Resin Architecture, we are dedicated to teaching and learning and are committed to helping business owners like you navigate the exciting journey of building. Stay tuned for more episodes where we'll continue to bring you engaging conversations, expert insights, and actionable advice to fuel your real estate aspirations.